Today's Berkey Guide podcast is brought to you by Walking Around Outside. No one paid to sponsor it, and walking around outside is completely free. You can walk around outside in cities, or in rural areas, or in the wilderness. You can put skis on and walk around outside. Walking around outside. Now, if you own a company, or have a product, or something you want people who might be in Hayward, Wisconsin in late February to know about, and you want to sponsor the top-rated Berkey podcast in the entire world, okay, it's, it's probably the only Berkey podcast, but it's the top-rated one, uh, you can contact us, info at berkeyguide.com. Hello and welcome to the Berkey Guide podcast. My guest on the podcast today is Tom Schur, the founder of the Double Berkey. If you've read the berkeyguide.com site, and you should if you haven't, you've seen references to November Project, which is a worldwide free fitness movement now in 45 cities, including several ski hotbeds in the Midwest, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Madison, and Chicago. You should go check it out. But when the founder of the Madison Group, or tribe as we call it, got tired of reading long blog posts about workouts in Boston, he asked for a short breakdown of the blog post at the start of each one. His brother, the co-founder of November Project, and at the time leading the Boston tribe where it started, called these Wisconsin Notes, which is now the name of their podcast, which you can find on the internet, where podcasts tend to live. I'm going to steal a concept from them, and I don't feel that bad about this blatant plagiarism, because I spent much of the afternoon of the 2016 Berkey outside of Anglers with the creator of the Madison Tribe, and therefore of Wisconsin Notes. At some point, yes, I'll see if I can pin him down for a podcast. So, with apologies to Dan Graham, but not that many apologies, here are what I'll call the Northern Wisconsin Notes for the podcast today. We're going to talk to Tom Schuler about the start of the Double Berkey and how it came to be in the late 80s. We'll talk about this year's events uh, and the date and time, so that if you want to come, you can, uh, you can show up, and some logistics of what to bring. And we'll talk about some of the more interesting stories and some of the more interesting characters who've skied the event over the years. That's it for Northern Wisconsin Notes. Here's the podcast. All right, I'm talking to Tom Shore. Uh, Tom Shore is a uh, cyclist and a skier from uh, southern Wisconsin, and uh, Tom does something called the Double Berkey. And how many years have you been doing the Double Berkey, Tom? This will be the 29th Double Berkey. 29th, so that started in 1980, in 1988, say 87, sometime in that range? 89, and I'll give you a story about it, yeah. Uh, you know, I assume that you didn't just uh, do that your first time. You've been skiing the Berkey for a while as well? I think by 89, I did a few Berkeys. I was a professional cyclist through the uh, the 80s. I raced professionally from 80, 81 through uh, 90. And so I was at the end of a training block, I guess, or training cycle, training year. Uh, and we decided to do the double Berkey. All right. And you, uh, you, you cycled in the Olympics too as well? Yeah, I was, I was on the 80 Olympic team, uh, and that was the year we boycotted. And then in 81, uh, the 7-Eleven team started. And that, I was part of that team for 10 years, and then I retired from that team in uh, 1990. All right, so uh, what's the, uh, what was the, the genesis of the Double Berkey? You know, a lot of cyclists moved to warm southern climates. Uh, during my racing time, it was uh, San Diego or Texas or Austin, Texas, uh, or maybe Colorado, uh, because there's, there's mountains and the weather is... Uh, you know, agreeable most of the winter. Uh, I decided to stay in the Midwest where I'm, I'm from. Uh, I grew up in Detroit and then Chicago. And I had, and then I was living in Minneapolis. And as you know, uh, 
in, in Minneapolis is a real hotbed of skiing. And um, I was introduced to a lot of skiers, and I had always enjoyed cross-country skiing as a great form of cross-training. And back in, the, in my day, our coaches all encouraged us as cyclists to do a lot of cross-training, including rollerblading and even running. But certainly cross-country skiing nowadays, the cyclists pretty much stand, uh, tend just to stick to cycling 365 days a year. They do a little cross-training, but it's not like we used to do. Anyway. Yeah, it'd be cycling and a trainer and then more cycling. Pretty much. Uh, pretty much. They allow them to do some core stuff and a little bit of strength stuff, but not a lot. Not like we used to do. Yeah. And I had been reading uh, about how cross-country skiers track their number of hours, their annual hours we'd always kept track of uh weekly hours on the bike weekly hours but we didn't it didn't we didn't it wasn't relevant to reviewing your year and what kind of if you had a good year or a bad year and how many hours you trained uh, because the whole intensity of training wasn't really a thing yet there weren't training zones and all that kind of stuff so it was really just the quiet the, the hours on the skis or the hours in the gym or the hours on the bike and then what that intensity level was um so skiers had the reading i was doing they always kept track of their annual number of hours and i thought that kind of intriguing so i started keeping track of my annual hours on the bike and really and and tallying them up every week and as that year was uh, the close of that year was approaching, 1989, I realized, wow, this is my highest training year I've ever had, and I'm approaching 1,000 hours. So I made a push those last couple of weeks in December to get 1,000 hours, and I, I looked at my training log just uh, last week from that year, and my I have a training log on December 29th, uh, 1818. <laughs> You're riding a, a right, 1889. You'd be riding a, riding a penny penny farthing. Yeah, 1989. That lists who joined me on that ski, and that we skied from Fish Hatchery to the lodge, um, and and back. And it took us, I think it was six hours, six and a half hours. So those six and a half hours on, I believe it was a Wednesday, were added to my weekly total, and that. That last week of December, I got my, I hit my thousand hours, so that was kind of cool. Um, and then I never hit a thousand hours again, but I did always organize the double Berkey because people enjoyed it. You know, those people that were there for that first one, and I think there were six or seven of us. Um, Sid Ringheim was on that. Uh, George Welk was on that. Paul Biscop was on that. Dennis Cruz was on that. And I'm probably forgetting one or two people, and I apologize. But those people wanted to do it again, and we just started making it a regular thing. And as the lodge, you know, some years the lodge was open, sometimes it was closed. So we've always made adjustments as to the direction. But typically, and sometimes we started at the lodge and go, we went south to Fish Hatchery. But most of the times we start at Fish Hatchery. And go to the lodge and back. Yeah, I know that, that I, I skied it a couple of times. I'm, I can't remember the exact years. One one year we went to the lodge, and uh, there were a bunch of these sort of pro skiers who 
planned ahead and they, they went and sat in the hot tub for about half an hour and, 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 and that was their, their middle. Another year we just went to someone's, uh, someone's cabin up there because the lodge was closed, but it, it, was, it was good fun both times. Um, I, there've been now, now, oh, it, it sort of spread, it sort of started with the cycling community, but it sort of spread beyond is that, and, and now a lot of skiers do it or is it sort of still a lot of cyclists? No, it, it really, um, well, George Welk, you know, he, he's a skier, uh, Sid Ring, Ringheim, she's a skier. Dennis Cruz is, uh, I think he's the only person that's done every Shawamigan. He's one of the original Shawamigan. So he's a biker and a skier. Um, so it was really, although I was a cyclist. I think I was the only, you know, full-time cyclist on that first double Berkey. It was a sort of a mixture of whoever was actually, whoever was in the area and, and had a day to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's crazy enough to go out and ski for, you know, 90K or whatever it winds up being. Yeah, yeah. And, and in, in, early, in December, you know. So um, it stayed that way. And we've, we've always uh, held the event. We tried now to hold it close to a weekend so more people can do it. Uh, and again, so this is the first double Berkey was on December 29th. This year's double Berkey f- falls on December 29th because it's near the weekend. It's on a Friday. I don't want I try not to ever interfere with other events that are going on, like the double pull derby is on Saturday the 30th. So... The double, the double Berkey happens on a Thursday, it happens on a Wednesday, but generally I try to hold it on the weekend, as close to a weekend as I can, between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, yeah, I get people who can come up for the week, and I, I know I've done it in a day, and uh, uh, people can do it at, 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 in, in, in whatever time and capacity. And the other thing is that it, it's not that everyone always uh, does the whole thing, that you can do, do a portion of it, you can drop out part way if you, you're not going you know, to make it the whole, the whole way. Yeah, the... Uh, the beautiful thing, and uh, so when you do a full double Berkey, at, at the longest, it's 90 kilometers because from Fish Hatchery to the Lodge, it's probably 80, 88 kilometers. So we stretch it and call it 90. But there have been a few people, um, George Welk in particular and a couple others, that have skied an extra 10 or 12K to get 100 kilometers that day. Um, now we stop at the North End Lodge, which is even shorter because the North End Lodge is not all the way to the old lodge, and the North End Lodge is part of the North End Ski Trails, and we uh, brook the Brick House uh, coffee shop caters in a lunch, a soup and sandwich and cookies. They cater that in to all the skiers. Um, so bring $10, put it in your back pocket, um, and the Brick House get. Yeah, Brickhouse serves us a great lunch, hot soup and sandwich, and then we ski back. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, the actual, you know, I've never, I haven't worn a Garmin. I'm not, as you found out when we were trying to record this podcast, I am not technology inclined, so <laughs> I've never worn a Garmin. I don't know what the distance are is, and I just like to round up. I don't round up to 90 kilometers anymore, but I think I call it um, 80 kilometers now. Yeah, I've actually, I wrote about it somewhere on my website, but the story of, uh, I was actually out on a really fast day in March on the Berkey Trail several years ago, where it refrozen, and you know, it was like ice skating, but I uh, realized that about, say, 5 p.m. that I'd skied 88 kilometers, and I said, well, if I've gone 88, i got to do the 12 more, but uh, 88 is eighty eight is plenty, and you're looking at this time of year, probably this year not included, uh, a lot of days where it's going to be cold powder, so it's not the fastest skiing you'll find. Yeah, and Ari, your point about skiing, part of it is so true. 
Um, I my I've been having back issues the last few years, and I'm out of shape. Um, so I haven't been able to. I had not been able to do the full double Berkey until last year. I was able to complete it. So typically, what I've done the years before that is I skied a lot. The uh, the North End cabin. I have lunch, and then I get to Double O, and there's a nice warm car waiting for me. I just I, I leave, you know. So one of the best parts of the ski is though that last the the last twenty five percent from Double uh, O to Fish Hatchery, because especially if it's a clear day, the sunset is always on your right shoulder, and it's really magical because you know you're kind of feeling pretty tired and low blood sugar and you're there aren't too many people on the trail anymore and you've probably had a good day but you're dog tired so that's that's a special feeling that um you know i hope people get <laughs> that full sort of full deplate depletion and elation with that sunset and again so those are perfect weather conditions with clear skies probably a little colder but the sunset on the right side. So we've had all kinds of conditions. You know, we've had conditions where someone doing classical uh, style is going as fast as skating because, like you said, it's, I guess that would be super cold. Uh, Ten below zero or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whatever those conditions are, we've had people classical skiing just as fast. So we've had uh, new snow. We've had near uh, almost no snow. We've also... One year, we actually had more snow in southern Wisconsin, so we moved the double Berkey because they had no, the trail wasn't open, they had no snow. We moved it to Lapham Peak, and that's a very challenging course. Um, that Lapham Peak course is very hilly, so we did, I don't know, nine laps on that thing or something, yeah. So that's good, good Berkey training no matter. Um, so you've had uh, weather, have you ever had a big snowstorm or a rainstorm or something really gross? I think the only thing, one year we had just, uh, probably six six inches at the start of the double, and then it kept snowing. And I um, I think everyone abandoned at the halfway point. That could have been the year that Drew Holbrook uh, famously pushed on, uh, and I think he skied classic one direction and skated back the other way. He was, and every year, so every year we've had harsh conditions. Someone is bound and determined to finish no matter what. So there have been some great stories of finishing after dark, um, super slow conditions. Uh, uh, you know, and a lot of times I, I actually don't hear all the stories. Um, you, you, don't, you don't get all those stories really until unless you make it back to the uh, parking lot typically. And some years I haven't made it back there. We used to try to meet at the Sawmill Saloon that night. And actually, I still go every year to the Sawmill Saloon, and, and a lot of people do show up, and we kind of – talk about the day um, or other friends just show up but it's really you know with all the events that happen on the Berkey Trail now all the great events from mountain bike to fat bike to running to certainly the Berkey um, it's just another way to enjoy the trail at a very leisurely pace yeah you're you're not no one's going out no one's going out and racing it not at all now, is there a story, uh, there's a story I saw online about Greg LeMond, you know, asking, asking a passing skier for a snack because he was bonking. Is that something that happened, or is that a tall tale of the double berkey? No, it is, it is a, uh, a, a true story when the lodge was open. And I think it might have been one of those years we actually started. We, one or two years, we started at the lodge. Up at Telemark, yeah. Yeah, we skied to Fish Hatchery. And Lamond or someone else had someone pick them up at Fish Hatchery 
and take us into Hayward for lunch. Yep. And then we came, because there was no, you know, the trail's not open typically this time of year from Fish Hatchery into uh, uh, Hayward. Right. It really, really never is until right before, or a couple weeks before the race, sure. It never is, yeah. So Lamont had arranged someone to pick us up. We went into Hayward. We had lunch. They drove us back to Fish Hatchery, and lo and behold, there were a bunch of people at Fish Hatchery that didn't have a ride into uh, uh, Hayward that were waiting for us and had had their power bars or whatever they were eating. So, I, a, I felt guilty about that um, that we got the lunch and they didn't. So we ski back to the lodge. But on the way back, um, one of the funny stories was Cindy Cruz was with us. Swindy, Cindy Swift who is one of the owners of uh, Riverbrook, sorry, Riverbrook, uh, now located in, on Main Street in Hayward, but it used to be uh, Seeley Hills. Cindy, one of the owners, uh, so we, we, we get to the top of a hill, she, she falls down, and Lamont wasn't the most um, uh, proficient skier at that time. He is now, but back then, uh, he was kind of clumsy. So he, He's probably focused on riding his bike a little bit. Yeah, and he, he was focused on riding a bike. I think he was still racing at this time. And so he falls and lands. Cindy somehow was laying face up in the snow, and he falls and lands right on top of her. So we enjoyed that, that story. That was a good memory. And we all laughed pretty hard. Later that day, though, is the famous uh, candy bar story. So we keep skiing on. We're, we get a couple kilometers ahead of Lamont. He's back there all by himself, probably at the back hacking along and um we we get to the lodge and he comes limping in like you know almost an hour later after close to dark and he told us about he had to borrow uh, food off people on the trail and sure enough that's back when the lodge was open a couple uh a couple visitors guests of the lodge came in and they saw greg and they laughed about the fact that greg was asking some kids for snickers bars and they gave them to him that's what got him in so yeah his his energy use on the bike was phenomenal but skiing uh he still has some things to learn i think yeah yeah that sounds like uh you know not every day that you uh you save save a tour de france winner uh winner by giving him a snickers bar on the berkey trail but uh, that, that happens yeah he was uh he enjoyed it and i think i'm not sure he lives in minneapolis i'm not i'm not sure how much skiing he does these days but he used to do quite a bit in the winter like we all did um, so this year you're going out on the 29th. Uh, what what time? Where is everyone meeting for that? Yeah, so we're meeting um, uh, per normal. We're, eating, we're meeting, we're departing at 8 o'clock from Fish Hatchery. And the key for 8 o'clock is that it allows us enough time to uh, stop at double O, refuel a little bit. I encourage people to drop off um, Clo- uh, you know, water and Christmas cookies and any food and double O and even a, a couple dry uh, base layers and socks if you want, if it's cold especially, at double O. And then we stop when we get to uh, the North End Cabin. That's where lunch is. And same thing, if, if people drop anything, they can drop some dry socks, dry base layer. Uh, we have a, and we try to spend a good amount of time there, about an hour. Uh, it's nice and enjoyable. And then we ski back. And even at 8 o'clock, there's plenty of time to make it before dark. Uh, back when we stayed uh, skied to the lodge, not only did we spend a little more time at the lodge because you had to order food off the menu, took a long, little longer time, but it's a longer ski. It's an extra 10 kilometers that added another half hour or so to the ski. But in any case, 
Yeah, we get back before sunset. Yeah, maybe a good idea to bring a bring a headlamp just in case. I I you know I guess so, um, but I don't think you'll need it. I really don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if and certainly there's great lighting systems now. So anyway, we meet at eight o'clock and we shove off. We just take a picture. Someone's usually there from the local paper. They snap a picture. Uh, we all snap a couple of pictures that we circulate to everyone. And typically, about um, we get about sixty people out on the trail at some portion. Typically, we get about forty people that have lunch. And typically, you know, the average number of people that finish the the thing do the whole thing is around sixteen. Sixteen is a good year. You know, sometimes as few as eight, and average seems to be 12 to 16 that finish the whole thing. All right, well, we're, we'll hope for a lot of finishers this year. I'm looking up the weather, and it looks like it's uh, that's next Friday. It's going to be oh, right around 5 degrees for a high, uh, low overnight, about 10 below, so it might be one of those years to do some classic skiing. And I'm sure people can classic ski one way and skate the skate back. Uh, another website has it up around 10, so maybe it'll be warmer, but uh be a chilly week up there. And uh, then do you go out, out, out and back on the Berkey Skate Trail, or do you change it up and do some of the classic trail now that we have that? We typically, we typically stick to skate the whole way. Um, sometimes people who know the trail well uh, know that the, 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 uh, the classic trail might be in better condition. Uh, sometimes towards the end, towards the north end, people will jump on the, uh, the classic trail because that's a real nice uh, flow. It's kind of rolly right there, and they'll jump on there. So. People that know the trail well, it's fun to ski with people that know the trail to jump on and off the classic trail. And, you know, it depends what kind of tracks they've set. Um, I understand they've got, they've had the big machines out a couple times on the Berkey Trail. So I understand that's, it's already in good condition. They've had a good, uh, good amount of snow. Have you been, Ari, have you been on the trail? Have you been on the trail yet this year? No, I haven't. I'm actually in the Northeast, so I'm not, uh, I'm not able, but I had a friend from, from the, from the Northeast, uh, from, from actually from Drummond who, who lives in the Northeast now is in Boston. I said, "Oh, you're going to come out and ski," and he sends me a picture of the Berkey Trail, and it just looked perfect. So uh, yeah. I think it's going to be real enjoyable. Probably a little chilly, but that's that's uh, par for the course this time of year. And yeah. better better that than 60 degrees, as we knew last year. Exactly, exactly. No, it's going to be nice. We're going to have a great time. Thanks, Ari. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for it. Are you signed up for the Berkey this year? Um, you know, amazingly, I I keep going to sign on and I, I forget and so I don't it might even be closed and then I won't have to ski it I'll go up there for sure but I think I'm going to ski it I will if it's still open Ben Pop if you're hearing that make a spot for me well from what I hear and I think we're going to run this right after a, a uh, run right after a uh, podcast with Ben I think uh, he's saying that they probably have a few more days and it's going to close right after Christmas or right around New Year's so I think you still have time I better get on there now all right. Thanks very much, Tom, and uh, enjoy the double burkey and stay warm. Thanks, Ari. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks again, Tom. Again, if you want a long ski this week, show up at Fish Hatchery Friday at 8 a.m. with $10 for lunch. I wound up recording a bunch in the last few days, and as promised, we'll soon post a podcast with Marty Hall about the history of the Berkey Trail. That will come up in the next couple days with more podcasts to come in the next in the next few weeks and into the new year. As always, our podcast is produced by Sam Evans-Brown of New Hampshire Public Radio, who also hosts the Outside In podcast about the natural world and how we use it. They recently had a series about the history of hydropower in Quebec, and it's a really interesting subject, even if it sounds a little dry. Well, I guess it would be wet, but the rivers... Anyway, it's, it's an interesting line of podcasts, and you uh, should check it out. They are on iTunes or on Spotify. They're at outsideinradio.org. And our intro music is from Tusk Lord, and it can be found on the Free Music Archive. 
And it's now 2008 here at Berkey Guide HQ. We've set up info at berkeyguide.com if you have any comments or ideas for podcasts. And you can always find us on Twitter at Berkey Guide. We hope to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks.